Hey guys, uh, it's Lexi from The History Woes. Before we kick off this podcast episode, uh, I forgot to mention before my story, uh, trigger warning uh, for sexual assault, pedophilia, murder, violent murder, all the things. It's a touchy episode, so if you're sensitive to any of that, uh, probably just skip this one. Thanks. Hi, friends. Welcome, Welcome back. Welcome to another History Woes podcast. I'm Morgan. I'm Lexi. Yeah. Look, it only took like 30-odd episodes for us to figure out intros. I honestly think it just had to be in the morning, apparently. That's fair. It's morning it's not, well, again. It's, it's, it's morning for us. It's daytime I'm still on drinking a coffee. Yeah. So it's still morning. It's daytime. That's fine. It's yeah. daylight out. We haven't been out adventuring for days. Yeah. Uh, so we listened to the last podcast we recorded and thought that we did a very good job. I hope you all agree. Mm -hmm. uh, if you do agree, feel free to rate, review, and subscribe us. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, we sounded more awake. So we're trying yeah. to do this now. Maybe more. I got. I just realized I got my face wash in my hair. Oh, it's okay. Yeah. It smells really nice. Well, looks great. Thank you. Yeah. You got a haircut. I did get a haircut. Um, so I get it yearly. <laughs> around St. Patrick's Day. Um, if you live in the Tampa area, it's Divine Designs. Go to Payel. She's very good. She also fixed my eyebrows. Um, I just found out what laminating your eyebrows meant mm -hmm. yesterday. My sister said that, and I was like, I'm sorry. Quad. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, like, for paper? But your eyebrows? No, and I was like, quite. you know, y'all could just put some... Drag queens have been putting super glue on their eyebrows forever, y'all. <laughs> like you don't have to paint. That's what for that. I did uh, for my Halloween costume. I yeah. had that. Well, not super glue. Sorry, you don't use super, not super glue. glue. glue Correction. Sticks. Glue sticks. Yes. Glue st Do not super glue your eyebrows. Don't listen to us for drag queen advice. Yeah. No. Go Just, to the drag queens. They but, have, I'm certain they have YouTube. Yes. Uh, but that's what I used. Yeah. Uh, to do my eyebrows for Halloween. Yeah. When I had to eliminate them, and I have some bold eyebrows. <laughs> they're hard to control. As I assume, as I understand it, they're like just really meant to keep your eyebrows in place. And I was like, I don't really think about that very often. Yeah. Well, because yours don't get unruly. You they just do have when their... I wake up. Oh. When I wake up, they're fucked up. But I'm like, okay, let me you just, you know, just <laughs> smooth them over yeah. with a finger. You just have good eyebrows. And then I don't know if that's, uh, maybe, maybe. I don't know if that's it. I, I just didn't know you could laminate your eyebrows. <laughs> Uh, we have Yogi with us today. Yeah, you can probably He's, hear his, his him breathing. trying to kiss me. <laughs> He's having a great day. Good boy. He knows it's a two shepherds day. Yeah, we're He's going like, to the dog park. He's like, bitches, hurry up, talk. Yeah. What you gonna talk about? Um, we're going to the dog park today, taking so him to two excited. shepherds. I am um, so excited. I got sun yesterday, and I'm getting some today. Um, you said sun or some? Sun. Sun. S-U-N. Yep. Yeah, not some. But sun. <laughs> you <laughs> but, get some of this ass. <laughs> um, yes, I got some sun yesterday and some today because my mother told me I looked pale. What did you do yesterday? I went over to Kelly's and we went over to her community pool. Nice. Yeah, it was cold. Uh, it was first pool day of the year, so it's only just becoming like... Acceptable. Acceptable, but even... And you like cold water. Like, you're down yeah, to clown with that. Yeah, this was cold. Uh, it was a polar plunge. Yo, you don't do that. Oh, uh, no. Yeah, that's a bad plan. Here, can we pause for a second? Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm just going to let him out. Yeah. Okay. He's out. <laughs> We're yes. Good. Uh, the dog is free. 
Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we, uh, that's cool. So it was cold for you. It was very cold. It was a polar plunge. Uh, me and my nephew. Uh, and then like, what? <laughs> I was like singing Titanic the entire time. And he, um, he came in after me. And then we had to leave because he was too cold. Uh-huh. He was getting them blue lips. Oh, uh, like, okay. Yep. Can't have that. No. Yeah. We went uh, to the golf course yesterday. So you got so. some sun too. Yeah. Well, so I put on a bunch of sunscreen. Yeah. Because um, I... I also put on sunscreen. Always wear I'm, sunscreen. I'm proud of you. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so we went to the golf course uh, and Michael got to do 18 holes. So he was very happy. Good for him. Um, I got to hang out outside right along, cheer him on, and mm-hmm. the other couple we ended up golfing with. Mm-hmm. Um, I think next time I go, I might rent a set of clubs and just ruin everyone's day <laughs> um, <laughs> and make it take forever. But I think it'll be fun. Uh, so we're going to try that next time. Um, oh. And I got a hot dog when we left. Ooh. So, you yeah. know, good day. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. And then we had family stuff at night. But yeah. it was a good time. Um, yep. I went home and then fell asleep. Nice. Something makes you sleepy. That's fair. It always has. It's a lot of exercise. Well, I didn't really swim too much because it was... I did do a little bit of back and forth. Um, but then I did work out afterwards. So Good. Very, yeah, my sister has a treadmill. She's... Oh, yeah. Blessed. I wish I had room for a treadmill. That yeah. would make life easier. Yeah. Than having to, like, go... I swear, like, half of my aversion to working out is that I have to travel to do it. The gym is, like, right by your house. I don't go to that one. I, I go to the one that has a pool. <laughs> so I don't want to go to that one. It doesn't have a pool. Um, yeah, so, yeah, I have to travel. Oh, well. So I'm um, always so interested when I check out our demographics of viewers that we have, like, almost 60% male viewers. It goes back and forth. So it'll be a, a bit more male, and then it'll it'll even out, and then it'll be maybe 52% female, and then it spikes back up to male. That's interesting. We appreciate you, male we viewers. We appreciate you guys. Thank you for being here. Slightly confused, but we really appreciate you. You know, we talk a lot of shit, but, you know, with love. <laughs> Most of the time. Most of the time, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, man. So today's topic is... Let's talk about cults, baby. Let's talk a, about you and me, not in a cult. It's a cult of personality. So, who's what wrestler uses that? You know, I don't know. Cult of personality, Eric. I know you're going to be listening to this. Text me when we you can hear just this. Google it. We have the internet. Well, shit. Hang on. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you know that. Which I, is it? Chris Jericho? I bet it is. Hang on. Wrestler cult of which? If it'd be funny if he does, because I think he goes to the um the Crossing Church here. Oh, CM Punk. Okay, so that's old. That's old, old. All right, well. Yeah, we're going to pretend like I know who that is. <laughs> I just knew I knew it. I was like, why is I know this cult of personality song and I know it's for a wrestler. We're discussing with some of our friends potentially like uh, being on one another's podcasts or mm-hmm. doing a takeover and one of our friends has a wrestling podcast. Mm-hmm. And he was like, well, Morgan could do it. And he looks at me and he's like, I don't know what you're going to do. <laughs> Talk. <laughs> shit the whole time and that's okay that's okay there's a lot to talk shit about with wrestling i mean we all watch it we know it's absurd i hope i hope the rest of them watch it and know that i don't know and yeah honestly i i was watching it 
and I watched it a lot, a lot more as like when I was growing up because it was very popular. And it, it's still popular, but it was really popular. When we were like seventh grade ish. It was the time of like The Rock and everything. And I know that one. Yeah, and I was watching it, but it it's too much. It is an overload. It's a, they have like a show on. They have like almost like a three hour show every day because then they split up new companies were made i'm like it's it's too much i can't i can't keep up so now i just know what i'm told again i can't can't do it i did my best to not know about wrestling for a really long time (laughs) and then i moved in with three boys as roommates and now i know more than i want to um but yeah anyway so today's thing talking about Cults. Not that wrestling is a cult, but not that it's not not a cult. Whew, I don't know. <laughs> um, I feel like the level of devotion you have to have to watch all of it at this point is kind of getting culty. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, that's not what we're covering. We're today. not going to cover. They, but thank you for coming to Wrestling Corner. <laughs> yes. Um, and speaking of corners, I have a corrections corner. Uh-huh. Uh, I said last week that Pepsi uh, during the pepsi number fever thing uh was going to be liable for 37 or 32 million Mm -hmm. uh if they paid everyone out that was 32 billion with a b that's a big difference and i just thought i should correct Mm -hmm. myself on that um (laughs) and that's the only correction we have for that episode eric (laughs) we got some hate mail we welcome it um, you yeah. know, there's no such thing as bad publicity, so... Yeah, there's apparently some kind of study out there that, yeah. uh, Pepsi was better, but it was heavily biased. It was performed by Pepsi. Yeah, and then I guess Coke made one, too, but on I honestly the... did no research into this. Yeah, on the, um, the documentary mm-hmm. that I watched for that last week, uh, they did a Coke and Pepsi taste off, uh-huh. like a blind taste test yeah. out of steel cups, and had people, yeah. um, try them and pick which one and they would lift it up and one of the guys who was in the lawsuit uh against pepsi for the jet and he picked pepsi and he was like wait no i didn't want to pick this one maybe to appease to appease some of the hate we can do a blind coke slash pepsi taste test and we can throw some other sodas in there so that we don't know so because i feel like if i tasted coke and pepsi just those two like, I know exactly what I'm going to pick. We'll get some RC Cola. RC Cola. Like, throw, like, a couple, like, a, a, a ringer in there. Like, Dr. Uh, like Dr. Pepper or something. And then, yeah. And then we'll see. To, to appease. Or, you know, prove that we're right. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we will see. Um, so today, uh, for my... I go first, right? Yeah. This yeah. is you. So, yeah. Um, so, I made us a drink. So we're talking about cults. It's a lot to get through. Um, so I made spicy margaritas because I feel like tequila is the appropriate beverage for this. <laughs> I went with hard whiskey. <laughs> I was uh, like, <laughs> I love that. We're like, there's nothing, nothing. I'm sorry. Nothing pairs with cults except hard alcohol. <laughs> yeah. Tequila and whiskey. Um, so yeah. we're doing a spicy margarita. Um, it's the Casamigos. I think uh, tequila. Triple mm-hmm. sec, habanero lime syrup, lime juice, and some more simple syrup to because I, I measured poorly and it was mm-hmm. very tart. That's so um, your yeah. nails look amazing. Thank you. You have to get Kelly to send you a picture of her nails. Okay. She got exactly the one that you intended to get for your wedding. 
Oh, the ombre the one, but one. it went yeah better. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, like um, it. Yeah, so cheers to nails corner. Yeah. Uh, Thanks for listening. Like our sixty percent male viewership. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's Kazu Melted in the Sun. It's a gorgeous color. I recommend it. Anyway. Yeah. Every time we go to get pedicures and manis, uh, she only gets she gets both, and I only get the pedicure. And the ladies always look at me very judgmentally when I'm like, I can't. I think they think we're lesbians. Oh. 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 <laughs> well then, what a giving partner I am. <laughs> <laughs> but no, she asked me and I was like, I play guitar. And I was like, it just, there's no point. It wouldn't make any sense. You just watched me out there. Notice my nails were too long and use your fucking nail thing to grind my nails to very short because I can't have them. And if you just keep them nice, it doesn't matter. The guitar wants what it wants. So I make my choices, my sacrifices. And also I'm a very giving lesbian. <laughs> <laughs> um, so oh my what do you think of your margarita? That was good. It was very yummy. I don't always like margaritas uh, because I think like a lot of people use too much of the mix and then it's just like acid. But this is a good one. I like it a lot. It's fresh. Yeah. So fresh, so clean. And the lime juice must be fresh. That's a lie. It came from the squeezy bottle. But I also don't use the margarita mix. Yeah. Um, thank you for that. I think that's probably what it is. Um, so yeah, we are. Tell me about your cult. Cults. And I'm going to tell you all about it. But first, throwing it way back. I need you. To picture it. Oh. You're a 14 year old boy. <laughs> I'm going through so much right now. <laughs> uh, living in Mexico. See. Si. Hence, Margarita. Uh, it's May of 1963. You're out exploring the countryside at the foot of the Sierra Madre Mountains. There's a small farming village known as Yerba Buena. It's surrounded by caves, and these caves have been rumored to be filled with treasures. Okay, that sounds buena. <laughs> <laughs> so you, a 14-year-old, your name is Sebastian Guerrero. Oh, what a cool name I have. Decided to go explore these caves mm -hmm. and find you some gold. Are you going to kill me again? Yeah, you do die. Damn it! <laughs> Sadly, your mission is unsuccessful. But around nightfall, you see flickering lights coming from a cave. As you get closer, you hear human voices. You smell copal incense. You know the smell of this incense because it's commonly used by brujos in your community. Well, I would not walk towards this. You slowly creep to the mouth of the cave. I'm sorry, you're a 14-year-old boy. You're not even in no charge of your own preservation. <laughs> Carefully staying out of sight. Aww. Inside the cavern, you see a group of around 50 people. Many of them naked. Yeah. Engaged in an orgy. Okay. Are they, well, if they're adults, my bad. Not to yet. Oh, yet. it gets bad. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> uh, they're passing around a beautiful chalice and they're drinking from it. Oh, no. It's some dark liquid. Oh, no. This is like the witches. You observe further and see an altar. Except I don't become a mouse. It has a man on it. No! He's been brutally murdered, <gasps> hacked to pieces, and the people are drinking his blood. Oh, no! Above all of these people stands a beautiful young woman Fuck. holding the bloody heart of the man on the altar. I gotta go. 
go. <laughs> you decide that's enough for one night and <laughs> hightail it the fuck out of there. Good for me. You run 15 miles I to would the closest station. I definitely would. Out, you get there, you're out of breath because you just ran 15 miles. <laughs> And you try to explain to the police that you just saw a group of vampires in a cave. <laughs> fair. fair. You know what? I normally those, I would, those dots connect. I right? would trash on the police right now, but I mean, I'd be like, uh, what? And the police laugh at him. <laughs> or you. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, but you insist. You are, like, vehement about mm-hmm. this. You're freaking out. One officer, Luis Martinez sees how distressed you are mm-hmm. and agrees to follow you back to the cave to investigate. We need more of your friends, Luis. <laughs> the two of you are never seen alive. No! Luis! We need it back up. This happens in every movie with the cops ever. It's just one this person. This really reads out like a movie. It's insane. Right? It's just like one person that goes and it's like, we need more people. Today, I'm telling you the story about the High Priestess of the Blood, Magdalena Solis, mm-hmm. and the cult of your Yerba Buena. Not Buena. <laughs> <laughs> so, Yerba Buena was a quiet, sleepy little farming com- uh, community. It had about 20 families there, and they were all extremely poor. There were no schools, no police, no churches, nothing. Most of the residents were illiterate. Uh, They mostly just farmed just to feed themselves. If they had anything left over, like beans or corn, they would sell it to neighboring communities. Then, in 1962, the Hernandez brothers arrive in Yerba Buena. These two brothers, Santos and Cayetano, arrived there, um, and they had previously traveled around northwest Mexico, pulling off various scams and then leaving town before they could be caught. Today, no one really knows why these two chose Yerba Buena, an isolated village without money or really any resources. But haters gonna hate, scammers gonna scam. So they show up in this remote, destitute village and start a scam. They show up claiming to be the prophets of ancient Incan gods. Note, these guys were really banking on the community not being up on their history or geography, because Incas were in the areas today we know as Peru and Chile, not Mexico. But They've anyway. traveled a long way. <laughs> Using sleight-of-hand tricks, uh, they convinced the villagers that they had supernatural powers. The brothers told the villagers if they obeyed uh, and followed their directions, they would be led to the vast riches rumored to be hidden in the nearby caves. Let's hope that Shin Lim never becomes a. Right, Michael, Michael is in. Done. When I was reading this, that's all done. I could think. I was like, Michael would absolutely be in this cult. And I might have as well. This, this guy does three card tricks. He's in. <laughs> like, no, it's real magic. And it does look like real magic in his defense. Uh, yeah. Acting on behalf of the gods. Uh, the brothers made up strange rituals with weed and laced incense smoke and animal sacrifices, which they would perform inside the caves. Since the poor villagers had no money to give them, the brothers demanded other tithes. They ordered the villagers to serve them, essentially making the entire village their slaves. These scammers were now living like kings, and because it always has to involve sex stuff with a cult, 
They Always. sought out the prettiest girls in the village, some as young as 14, and told their parents they needed to be given to the two brothers to, quote, learn about sex. Weirdly, uh, or perhaps not weirdly, you have already given so many ties to my story. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't think that's uncommon in cults. Yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of typical red flags yep. that are waving. Yep. Uh-huh. The villagers didn't dare disobey because it was the word of the gods. The brothers had their fun with the girls. They would sell them off to traffickers oh. who would send the girls to border towns and force them into sex work. The brothers didn't just demand sex with the young girls, however. They would demand sex from everyone at any time. And the villagers had to obey. After a time, the rituals began to include, like, as a standard part of the ritual would include sex turning into orgies. However, as the months went by, there was no gold. Some of the villagers began questioning the Hernandez brothers' oh, supposed power. Furious. <laughs> so, in order to keep the scam going, the brothers told the villagers they were going to go talk to their gods and they would come back with a goddess. The brothers traveled to Monterey, the closest large city, and home to a tra sex trafficking scene they were already very familiar with. It didn't take them long to find Magdalena Solis. Solis had been forced into prostitution at age 12, presumably by her brother, but she also had a lucrative side hustle as a fortune teller and medium, claiming she could channel the spirits of long-dead brujas. Uh, and she's about 16, I think, when this occurs, so she's a child. Yeah. For, for anybody who may not know, the basic translation, even though it's not a direct translation like a of bruja, and bruja is a witch. Yeah. Basically. Not direct translation, but if you like to give it a name yes. in English. It's like a witch. Um, so when the Hernandez brothers tell her about the scam... It's written that she eagerly accepts, but her pimp brother, Eliezer, comes with her, and I don't know if she accepted or he accepted. Right, that seems... I don't that know. That seems uh, shadowy at best. I don't know. But the two of them travel back to Yerba Buena with the Hernandez brothers. And she doesn't show up just, you know, riding on the back of a horse or whatever. Uh, the brothers return to the village, and they tell everyone that their goddess would arrive that night but they must perform a ritual to summon her. I can only assume this plays out like a scene out of the Road to El Dorado. <laughs> but, <laughs> I wish this was more like that story. But uh, they gather all the villagers at night, throw a smoke bomb, and have her magically appear. The villagers are awestruck. This girl who had been abused for so long now held total power over these villagers. But I guess she was like, hey, Hernandez idiots, we shouldn't be using the Incan gods We're in Mexico. Let's use the Aztec gods. Yeah. But she was supplied with all the weed and peyote she wanted, which was quite a bit, apparently. And under the influence of peyote, she started to believe she was actually a goddess. Well, it's a hallucinogen. Uh-huh. I believe. And it makes you susceptible to, like, suggestion and all of that. Yeah. Also. Yeah. So, uh... Mm, okay. So she's she starts to believe she is actually a goddess, specifically the reincarnation of the Aztec mother goddess, uh, Coaltecuo. Sorry. Okay. Got that. Uh, and 
Uh, Kualtekuo was known as the mother of the gods, bringer of both life and destruction. Okay. Under the reign of this goddess... You okay? I was just thinking... <laughs> I was like, she's probably got a lot of rage. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Like, I mean, she... And now she's taking enough drugs to be like, yeah, I can destroy everything. Mm-hmm. And she's been abused her whole life. So I'm just... I understand... I can understand that, like, she's going to do some really bad shit, and but she's still also a victim. Victims can also do really bad things. See yeah. every serial... Not every serial killer, but many. Yeah, so um, she is classified as a serial killer, and she's one of the few uh, female yeah. ser- serial killers that kills with a sexual component, mm-hmm. which is really rare for female serial yeah. killers. But... This is a very... This is a series of very unfortunate events. Yes. Like, this, it's and not like not... she wouldn't have been, like, this way. Like, it, this was a... This was a nurture thing maybe. that happened to her. I don't yeah. think that she would have been... I mean, and maybe. Maybe. You can't say for sure. I don't know her. But based on what I've heard thus far, I don't she, think she would she have been very, this person if she, she had had very been tragic under different life up to this circumstances. Point. Yeah. She had a very tragic life. Yeah. Fuck. And that... You know, it doesn't excuse things. Like, there are people who go mm-hmm. through these horrific things and don't become mm-hmm, serial mm-hmm, killers. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not an excuse. But right. we're not excusing her. We're just... She had a I'm really bad life. Literally dissecting this. the details. Yeah. So, under the reign of this goddess, mm-hmm. the cave rituals became even darker. The villagers were given peyote. <sighs> TBD on if they obtained informed consent. I don't think they did. <laughs> I don't think that's high on the list of priorities. Uh, during these rituals, uh, which would make them... Highly susceptible to her commands. Mm-hmm. So Lise insisted not only should they perform animal sacrifices, but they should drink the blood to gain immortality. Uh, the ritual or- orgies escalated. Let's start pronouncing it orgies. <laughs> yeah. When you said it, I was like, that's better. <laughs> like everything else, they were directed by Solis, who demanded the villagers engage in both incest and bestiality. Oh no! I look, look. I understand that a lot of bad shit happened, and I do feel that badly about that too. But bringing animals into it is really a whole new animals and kids, man. Yep, they don't deserve. Nobody deserves. You guys understand where I'm going with this? Like <laughs> <laughs> just, uh, not the animals. At one point, two of the village men began to question the increasingly disturbing new religion and wanting to leave. Good for them. So, Solis <laughs> labeled them as non-believers. There it goes. And ordered the villagers to lynch the men. Ah! Yep. There we go. From that point, her bloodlust spiraled out of control. She insisted the rituals now include human sacrifice, and any villager who wasn't obedient enough would find themselves on the altar to be beaten, burned, and hacked to pieces by their fellow villagers. Mm. And not content with simply butchering her victims, Solis began copying ancient Aztec sacrificial rituals, uh, which involved cutting the hearts out of the victims while they were still alive. Yeah. And it's one of these gruesome rituals that young Sebastian Guerrero had stumbled upon that sad evening in May. Oh, fuck. Poor Sebastian. Days and days went by after Guerrero and Martinez left to investigate the vampires. When they didn't return, local police went to the state police. On May 31st, 1963, they got it together, uh, the state police, along with a contingent of the army. There you go. Went, there you go. Yep. <laughs> That's, you had to bring everybody. Yep. 
Uh, they went to Yerba Buena to find the missing men and learn what was going on. They found the Solises along with Santos Hernandez in a farmhouse high off their ass and in possession of a large amount of weed. The Solises were arrested, but Hernandez attempted to flee. The police shot him dead. I don't know. Seeing the massive armed forces descending on their little village and arresting their goddess, the rest of the villagers holed up in the surrounding caves. And the villagers against the police and the army engaged in a shootout. But the villagers were outnumbered and outgunned. Yeah. So. I mean, these people hadn't seen a smoke bomb before. I mean. <laughs> yeah. I'm not shitting on them. I'm just no, literally yeah. saying, like, the, there's not, this yeah. is the Mexican army. And state police. Yes. Like, you, there's no... Yeah. There's not... Yeah. So, those who survived the shootout were taken into custody. Oh, no. Upon searching the area, the police found the bodies of Guerrero and Martinez um, on the property of a farmhouse where the Salises had been living. Uh, their hearts had been cut out of their bodies. Oh. And a search of nearby caves yielded the bodies of six more victims, many of whom had been dismembered. Uh, Cayetano Hernandez uh, was also found dead. But police would later learn that he had been murdered by another villager, Jesus Rubio. Rubio had learned of the brother's scam and wanted in on it. And when Hernandez refused to cut him in, Rubio had murdered him. The Salises, along with the villagers arrested in the raid, stood trial in Ciudad Victoria. Uh, since none of the villagers would testify against them, Magdalena and Eliezer Solis were only convicted of the murders of Guerrero and Martinez. Well, they were sentenced to 50 years each. Okay. I was going to say, at least they're still convicted for a murder, which is going to be a longer sentence. Mm -hmm. The remaining villagers were convicted of basically lynching mm -hmm. uh, for the other six victims. So they were charged and okay. convicted. Uh, they were given 30-year sentences. Ugh. All right. Uh, though the remains of eight people were found, it's suspected the cult murdered up to 16 people. It isn't known what happened to Solis if she served her time. Uh, she would have been released in 2013. However, there are also conflicting reports uh, that she died in prison. And that is the horrifying story of the High Priestess of the Blood, Magdalena Solis, and the cult of Yerba Buena. It was not Buena. <laughs> <laughs> but, okay. Alright. So... Well, that's a cult story. Mm -hmm. Um, we're gonna, we're gonna have a lot of, uh, overlapping vibes. The vibe check will be the same on my story. It's a little different, but not in any way that matters. <laughs> Well, I'm excited to Except hear. for uh, magnitude, really. Yeah. Because it's gigantic and still happening. So. Yay! There's that. Um, uh, do we want to switch drinks? I don't know. I didn't finish How mine. do you have? Oh, okay. Are you okay with this? Yeah, or do I'm you want good. me to go, just go get you a hard shot of whiskey? We could. Like a shot of whiskey with a margarita chaser <laughs> wouldn't suck for this story. But I guess we'll just, we'll stick with the margarita Just for tequila. Now. All mm -hmm. right. Sorry, guys. It's like noon. We're yeah drinking. Well, it's just, it can be, uh, yeah. You can't slam a margarita. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Really, you can't. But it's delicious. Okay. So. 
today. Tell me everything. Yeah, I'm going to. <laughs> today, <laughs> I'm covering the Mormon church, but more pointedly, I'll be focusing on the, this is long, Fundamentalist Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. FLDS. The FLDS. Um, Yay, Mormons! <laughs> yes. I can't wait. Mm, this story. Uh, we most, know how much I love shitting on religion. Yeah. Uh, most of the information I gathered for today's episode was from a documentary called Keep, Sweet, Pray, and Obey, which is available on Netflix. It's a very good watch. It's by Arc Me or produced by Arc Media and directed by Rachel Dretzen and Grace McNally. But I'm going to say now, there are some big trigger warnings for that documentary and my story. I meant to do that we'll put at it the in beginning the show notes. of mine. We'll do it in the show notes. Um, we're talking about cults today, so that's typically going to mean they get up to some terrible shit. The FLDS is no exception. We'll be talking about inappropriate acts with minors and sexual assault on both minors and adults. Um, but to get started, let's look. Let's talk a little about the Mormon Church. Uh, the church was founded by Joseph Smith, who was born in Vermont in December of 1805. His parents were interested in religion, but they disagreed on it. Uh, Smith didn't have a particularly interesting upbringing until in 1820. He finds... Nope. At the age of 15. So he's got, you're, we're getting there. We're getting there. Um, Smith is praying in a wooded area near his home and God and Jesus appeared before him and told him his sins were forgiven. The and, dynamic duo. Right? I mean, a duo. shit. A duo. <laughs> um, so they appear, they tell him his sins are forgiven and that all of the other religions had turned their backs against the gospel. So no doubt this was a very exciting moment for Joseph. But then, in 1823, just three later, three years later, Smith said an angel named Moroni showed up and told him the location of a buried book made of golden plates, as well as other artifacts, including a breastplate and a set of interpreters uh, composed of two seer stones set in a frame. I don't know why they're in frame. Why is anything? Um, <laughs> and it had been hidden in a hill near his home. Smith said he attempted to remove the plates the next morning, but was unsuccessful because the angel returned and prevented him. Smith reported that during the next four years, he made annual visits to the hill, but wasn't ever able uh, until his last visit to get the, the book and the plates and everything. Uh, interestingly, Smith, who had grown up on a small farm, made extra money off selling his services as a treasure hunter. Smith would tell people that he had the ability to see through a seer stone, also known as glass-looking, and through the stone he could see upwards of 50 feet or five elephants down into the ground and locate buried treasure. So he's just like a human... Oh, what are those things called? A human metal detector? Yeah. Yeah, but he doesn't have any metal detectors. He has a stone he looks through. He's Well, um, he doesn't need it. He's a human metal detector. Yeah. Um... Imagine if you just put him next to a magnet and he just <laughs> smacks him in the face. Um, and in fact, in 1826, three years after he had the vision of Moroni, he was brought to court for defrauding a local wealthy farmer by the farmer's family and after many unsuccessful attempts to locate buried treasure on the farmer's land. In 1827, Smith began courting Emma Hale in Pennsylvania while boarding at her family's home. He asked Emma's father for permission to marry her, and her father said, absolutely not. You're a broke-ass treasure hunter. Oh, Stranger. Broke-ass bitch. I don't know you. <laughs> right? I would probably say that, too. Yeah. 
but Joseph and Emma eloped and lived with Joseph's family in New York. Wow, who elopes? That's so inconsiderate. Uh, I don't know. That's a joke. Uh, they were still broke as fuck, so Emma and her dad, uh, sorry, Emma's dad, not and her, Emma's dad, he seems like a nice person, offered to help set Joseph up with a business and allow him to board with them if he gave up treasure hunting. But wouldn't you know it, it's time for that annual pilgrimage to that hill to see if he can find that book made of golden plates. He's got to find his treasure. Right as he's about to have to settle down into his bed of being a regular businessman and take care of a wife. And this time, Joseph finds that book. Yeah, God brought out the room of requirement for him. That was really cool. <laughs> he walked by several times. Um, so obviously everyone is so excited. They cannot wait to see these plates, this book. They were in the presence of a modern day Moses. Except the angel told Joseph he cannot show the plates to anyone. These were for his eyes only, and he was to just transcribe what was on the plates and tell everyone what they said. Smith told everyone the plates were in a religious record of Middle Eastern indigenous Americans and were engraved in an unknown language called Reformed Egyptian. Which sounds a lot like it would take very skilled interpreters to translate, but luckily Smith spoke this language and told everyone he was capable well, of reading and translating uh, the plates. No big yeah, deal. Yeah, so God gives you the ability to translate. Mm. Um, so it's I, a miracle. It's a miracle. So I could do an entire episode on Smith's life, uh, because basically he does pull off creating an entirely new religion. Um, well, yeah. not new religion, new popular sect of, of, of religion in the Christian church. Yes. Um, and he wasn't done with the law. After defrauding uh, that farmer, in fact, Joseph Smith would later be on trial for being a disorderly person three times, illegal banking or banking fraud two times, inciting a riot, conspiracy to murder twice, and treason three times. Um, and he's also the guy who started polygamy in the Mormon church. And people will argue that there were too many men and the women needed to be taken care of. But no. And for reasons I will go into later. Joseph was a trash bag. Um, for those of you who yeah. don't know, polygamy is when you... It's, it, it. One person so, has multiple spouses. Exactly. But it never is that women have multiple husbands. It's... Maybe there is somewhere, someplace. But traditionally, it's men who have many wives. Yeah. Um, so. And uh, for the record, I actually, I don't have any issue with polygamy as a concept if it's happening between consenting adults and no one was brainwashed. But that's not really the healthy thing that typically happens with polygamy. I know there are also tax implications involved, which I didn't quite frankly i have no idea how that works uh but what i'm saying is informed consenting adults whatever they do with their time yeah. is zero of my business i wish them well that's fair but this is not that story agreed yeah. um do we get into like brigham young and everything i don't or we just skip over i did okay. this story's too long for that i can't enough uh we can always cover him at a different time it's still a cult this cult's been around a long fucking time um doing all kinds insane. of shit and now he's got like Anyway. Colleges. Yeah. <laughs> so fast forward to the 90s. There's a commune in Salt Lake City, Utah, which, if you do not know, Utah is where many of the Mormon people of uh, faith live. Uh, during this time, the cult was just called the Fundamentalists, which was much easier to say before they became the Fundamentalist Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um, mainstream Mormonism outlawed polygamy about 130 years ago in 1890, which forced out the groups that still practice polygamy, including groups like the FLDS. 
the groups like this and those practicing what they called fundamentalism were basically saying, we're going back to the exact teachings of our Lord and criminal Joseph Smith, who preached that in order to achieve the highest level of salvation, you had to practice polygamy as well. As with most cults, there was a large degree of separation from the FLDS members and anyone else, including other Mormons who were not fundamentalists. So despite living in a large city like Salt Lake City, the FLDS families had to live and practice their faith away from everyone, not just because they would be shunned by other Mormons, but also because polygamy is illegal. Um, so they can't all go out together in large family gatherings because it's going to be pretty obvious what people are looking at. And it's not just the fact that FLDS was not practicing birth control. Oh, so okay. each man, depending on how many wives he has, has upwards of 19 kids. Yeah. So can you imagine taking all of those people to the Golden Corral for absolutely fucking lunch? Not. Like, oh my um, God, you've got like 45 fucking kids. Yeah, exactly. You can't feed all those kids. <laughs> So obviously there's a large group, but they also look a little different. The women are all dressed very modestly, long-sleeved, ankle-length dresses or skirts. Their hair is typically long, pulled back into pretty similar styles. So even your everyday Mormon in Utah is going to look at that group of people and immediately know what they're saying. Um, but a and you cult. <laughs> they're looking at a cult. Correct. Um, but, and you probably could have guessed this, the men did not have the similar haircut and wardrobe requirements, so you'd think they did because they all look exactly the same. Um, and again, do not get me wrong, I am not trashing on women who dress according to their faith, because this happens across so many religions. That's not my issue. My issue is, as a Utah attorney says in the, in the documentary, who's also a Mormon himself, quote, polygamy is not really the problem. It's the secondary crimes that occur in a closed religious society controlled by men. End quote. But to be very clear, secondary crimes very much happen in open religious societies, too. Look at the Catholic Church. Yeah, the problem is men. Yeah. <laughs> uh, not you men who listen to this podcast. No, thanks. Um, Unless you are a problem, in which case, like, stop. fix yourself. Um, so, yeah, but that's just not the focus of this story, the Catholic Church, because that's its own cult. And, uh, yeah. In the FLDS, women uh, were, as one former member and son of the prophet put it, regarded as chattel. They were property. And I'll get into the prophet business in a minute. Uh, but basically, boys were taught growing up that in order to gain entry to the highest degree of the celestial kingdom, you had to have at least three wives. And if you reached that highest degree, you could have spirit children, which means you would be able to create worlds and basically become a god. Women were never taught anything other than they could become a wife. In the FLDS community, but, um, a man's status so commentary. was based on how many wives you had, not unlike how many chickens or cows a farmer has. Um, and though you only needed three wives to apparently become a god, I guess these men were trying to collect all of the Infinity Stones. <laughs> <laughs> and for men who had many daughters... They could basically bargain and be like, I'll give you some if you give me some. Huh? And so mm -hmm. gross. that's what one of the former women members who grew up in the church said in her interview. Did she then vomit on everyone's shoes? I wish she had. Um, so who's the guy who has the most wives? In the FLDS community, they have someone known as a prophet, or mm -hmm. the prophet, actually. It's the only one. Um, which is a guy who's kind of like the Mormon Pope. He's, and it's always a he, is God's representation on earth. He's got the direct line. He's the dude in charge. Children were taught this man 
uh, in this in the 90s, this guy's name was Ruland Jeffs, would never die. He would only be born anew. Like Not Warren Jeffs? Fucking Phoenix. That's his son. We're getting there. Oh. Um. <laughs> so yeah, they're t- he's never going to die. Like a phoenix, I guess. He just, uh, he's born anew. Um, they're also told he's telepathic and omnipresent. That he knows all of what anyone is thinking Andy's and in, what they did. And he's infallible. Like yes. That, like oh, that's yeah. The, 1,000%. One of the big things is like, yeah. he is infallible. He cannot be wrong. So he kind of has cooler powers than the Pope. Well, no, the Pope is also supposed to be infallible. Is he omnipresent and knows what you're thinking, too? I don't think so. I don't know. I was, yeah, I really don't know. I don't think so. These guys got really cool fucking powers. Yeah, he's like, um, but then why do you have to go, like, confess things to people if he already knows what you're thinking? Weird, My man, huh? I don't know. <laughs> my sister in Christ, I don't know. <laughs> um, so he was also the person who arranged every marriage. There was no, hey, I love you, let's get married. The prophet would arrange all marriages, which will obviously set some people up for favoritism. Other higher-up men could try to influence the prophet's choices with their own suggestions, but ultimately everything stops with the prophet. Um, when a girl was ready to be married, which, and this time was based on girl to girl, I don't think they were waiting on her first period for many cases, but when the girl was deemed ready, however the fuck that was determined, she was, quote, turned in to the prophet, which meant the girl's father would take her to the prophet, give her to him, and tell him she was his to do with as he wills. And we'll pause here to take a drink, if you safely can, or scream into the void, or both. This is where I took a shot during my fucking story. Hmm. Okay. So, the girls were turned into the prophet, and he would shake the girl's hand. And when he was shaking their hand, if he squeezed three times, it meant he was choosing them to be his wife. For the men, if their daughter were married into the prophet's family, it was considered an honor, and they were overjoyed that their daughters were marrying the prophet. One of the women... Oh, sorry. sorry. Are you okay? I'm... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I... Mm. It's called religious trauma. Sorry. That's sorry. fine. I'm singing a lot this episode. We should probably cut this out. That's fine. I sing it almost every one of the women in the documentary told her story of when this happened to her. She was presented to the prophet when she turned 19. He squeezed her hand three times. Ruland Jeffs was 85 at the time. <gasps> For the wives of Ruland Jeffs, they weren't allowed further schooling. They weren't allowed to work. According to his wives, who appeared in the documentary, their only purpose was to pray. And, and to all al- And <laughs> yes, to breed and to always be adoring and obedient to their husband, the prophet. As you can guess, there was no sexual education for girls growing up in the FLDS. They knew they wanted to be wives and mothers, which is normal enough. That's all they saw. Um, But they wouldn't get their first kiss until they were announced as husband and wife. And that's still like a, you know, it's not, they're not making out. Um, Sorry, I did that wrong. (laughs) Oh, I don't mind. I was looking down. (laughs) Um... So they had no idea how babies are made. When their husbands want to consummate the marriage, the women would be like, what are you talking about? They have no idea that their husbands are going to even touch them outside whatever casual touch they may have seen between their parents, like the occasional kiss or hug. If they did know anything about sex, they knew it was bad because girls were supposed to stay pure. Mm -hmm. So on their wedding night, they cannot understand why their husbands would be doing something so terrible to them. Yeah, you're supposed to go from, like, virgin to whore real quick with no 
training your explanation. Yeah. The prophet himself had at least 62 children, but probably more. One of his sons, by his wife Marilyn, was named Warren. Warren's mother told everyone that Warren was born eight weeks premature and close to death, but previous prophets appeared to her and told her that Warren would survive and that he would be incredibly special. And Marilyn pushed for Warren to be close to his father, the prophet, so that when the prophet died, Warren and his brothers would be the ones to take over. So it's weirdly selective here on what they believe and how they behave, because this woman clearly seems to know Ruin's going to die at some point, though he's supposed to be in the order of the fucking phoenix. And eventually, <laughs> sorry, um, but eventually Ruin believes that Warren is very special, even though he looks like a parrot who's also a baker. Um, and he has these big you fucking You can't lips. do that when I have a mouthful <laughs> of margarita. Oh my gosh, I just almost spit all over this microphone. <laughs> he has these big fucking glasses and just a hawkish looking face, built like Slenderman. Um, and he fully embraces being the chosen one and adopts a personality to match that. Where his dad had some charisma, as many cult leaders do, Warren was described as awkward, especially compared to his brothers and nothing to write home about. And where Warren's dad was the charismatic dictator, uh, like many who came before him, uh, Warren was a more silent and sinister presence in the background. When Warren was still a teenager, many of his brothers noticed that he was becoming too familiar with the sisters. His sisters. Whether half or whatever the fuck. Look, they're um, related to everyone at this point. Right. Like... Some of the brothers reported it to Rulin, the father and the prophet. Um, and he told them to drop it and to do nothing. So Warren was picking up on being a predator uh, from a pretty fucking young family? age. The, crazy... the Duggars. Yeah. That. I almost, ha I, I, I was going to put a part of that. Yeah, but I was like, I can't. Uh, this is too much. Um... So as Warren begins moving up and coming into his own, he starts cracking down on anything that comes into the community from the outside, like any good cult leader. Uh, first things to go are the books, because you only need one. Um, but for school books, mm. all had to be approved by Warren. Entire sections uh, were cut out of science books. What I think, does this sound like? I think Ron oh, DeSantis might be related to this yeah, guy. Yeah, Florida, today. I literally wrote that. <laughs> I was like, I think Ron DeSantis might be related to this guy. Um, of course, women had their own curriculum to teach them about chastity and purity. Keep and your pants on until your husband wants it, and then take your pants off. And, and then they have no doing. idea, though, that part. <laughs> yeah. Like, Sorry, and I, I said earlier, uh, you're expected to go from virgin to whore. I don't mean, I'm not calling those women whores. No, it's that just, was not my intent. It's just their expectation is to be like this pure, pure thing, and then you're supposed to give yourself completely to your husband, but you don't even know what you're supposed to give. Right. And then if you don't, you don't know, know what anything. you're doing, then it's on you. And then you're not a good wife. And you yeah, need to figure exactly. it out immediately. Exactly. And even though you, you're, you're like, I don't know. <laughs> so, That's insane. Yeah. So, and Warren really begins learning, sorry, leaning. And Warren really begins leaning into teaching perfect obedience to all of the <laughs> FLDS members. Couldn't be me. <laughs> <laughs> Around this time, Rulin had a major stroke and was basically incapacitated. Warren completely isolated that everyone from his father. That was God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Saying his father needed to, quote, heal. And conveniently, Warren began to fully take over. When Warren took over, the teachings and sermons started to take a sharp left turn. It all became about hellfire and damnation. And part of the Mormon religion has always been that the time is near. But Warren was really pushing this teaching. 
Um, but the hope perpetuated by Warren was that the purest of God's believers, these being the members of the FLDS, if they were righteous enough, they could be saved while the rest of uh, Earth would be smited. Um, so then in 2002, the Olympics are supposed to be held in Salt Lake City. This sends Warren's sermons fully over the edge, and he tells the FLD, uh, FLDS members they have to leave Salt Lake City. God's going to destroy it during the Olympics, and they won't be able to be saved. Um, God hates Olympic games. Especially the, the winter ones, apparently. Um, Skiing is sinful. You heard it here first. <laughs> Um, so there's another community of FLDS members outside of Salt Lake City at Short Creek, which is a town on the Utah-Arizona border. Short Creek basically becomes the FLDS compound. It's extremely remote. It's in the mountains. It's difficult to get to. It's perfect for a cult. Um, so everyone quits their jobs. They sell their houses, and they move to Short Creek because they think the end of the world is coming. 10,000 people end up moving to the remote location but imagine if you already live there and then all of a sudden all these fucking weirdos just well it's show just up. the other flds people like this place is so remote it's okay. just this it's tiny only... itty bitty town gotcha. yeah and now they've got ten thousand people coming um, i'm just imagining you're like the one normal person and then you just open your blinds one day and like it's tampa you're not wrong <laughs> except they're all in like long dresses yeah and there's like so many fucking kids oh my gosh so many kids uh, but the Olympics come and go, and no smoting has happened. Um, obviously, these people are very scared. They're very confused. Uh, they're all in on their religion, so how is it possible that Warren was wrong? But Warren tells them God has tested them and is giving them more time to become a, as perfect and righteous as they can be so they can be spared in the end of times. The people go along with this. They put all of their money into building this new community uh, but all of the houses and buildings in it are owned by the church. And not only does the church demand your money, if you had any businesses, those had to be signed over to the church as well. Not long after this, the prophet Ruland dies. What? Again, people are like, what the fuck? He's not supposed to die. He was supposed to be the last prophet. He's supposed to get up as a young man and be like Jesus. Um, but Warren has an answer for this too. Soon after the funeral, Warren begins to talk more and more as if Rulin is speaking through him. And then it became that Warren was saying that he was his father. He was renewed and speaking through his son. And soon Warren it is like became Jesus. the prophet. Kind of. Yeah. Um, after he becomes the prophet, Warren's first order of business? Get more wives. But who? Warren, over a couple of weeks married most of his father's 65 plus wives Ew. um it's not certain how many there actually were um thankfully he left his biological mother out of it but he had called all of these women mother when they were married to his dad like that's what you do you're like mother whatever mother marilyn whatever um so that's weird uh but this didn't sit well with a lot of the flds members which is a weird line to draw on the sand if you ask me um it's gross, but it's not more gross than other shit they were up to. Um, Warren began uh, becoming more and more strict on the congregation. When Ruinland was alive, shit was still fucked up, but they had family gatherings, get-togethers. They celebrate some holidays, like the 4th of July. Now that's all out. And the dress code for women somehow got more strict. Uh, where women could wear what they wanted before as long as they were covered, they now had to get rid of all of their denim. 
whatever, I guess. Denim is a sin. <laughs> and no clothing with prints on it. The dresses had to be in approved colors, which were all pastels. Specifically, they could not wear red. I think he was just really passionate about Little House on the Prairie. I think so. That's what they all look like. Yeah. Um, I Moomin think also he was like Laura Ingalls yeah, Wilder. I think, is yeah, that bae. was his kink. Um, <laughs> women also had to wear long sleeved underwear under their dresses. So like long sleeve, long underwear, like this must be so hot. They're in, not in the good way. They're in Arizona and they're in these long ass fucking dresses. Um, the hairstyles all had to be approved. Not a hair could be out of place. And the styles that they had to do were intricate braiding. Like, I don't know. And There's somehow, no time to think about your oppression if you're too worried. I suppose about, so. Uh, but they've got like 18,000 kids to take care of. I don't know how they had time for these braids, but they did. Um, and somehow he got everyone to turn in their guns. Wild. Um, <laughs> so, again, uh, you can tell people are all in on this cult. They are scared as fuck if they go against who they believe and have been told is the prophet. Um, people would say they weren't afraid of dying. They were afraid of disobeying the prophet. If you disobey the prophet, you're looking at eternal damnation. So this all takes over, takes place over a year or so. Then the headlines start about homeless boys. Because Warren has started to kick out young boys. Not just young men. We're talking as young as 13. He's kicking them out of the FLDS and they're ending up homeless all over Utah. For the boys who got to stay, their use is free labor in various ventures the church was taking part in to make money. And it's pretty clear here Warren wants none of what he would consider as competition. Um, and not only that, if you have other men high up in the FLDS who have 20, 30, 40 wives, you're going to have a lot of leftover boys. Mm-hmm. Um, and the wives can't have yeah. multiple husbands. So Exactly. Um, so for grown men established in the FLDS, Warren, if Warren had any suspicions that they were not completely loyal to him, he would systematically destroy them. He could and would take their wives and children and marry their wife to another community member, and then the children would be considered that other community members. And they wouldn't be able to have any contact with their biological father anymore. Like, it, they're just You're just out. excommunicated You're excommunicated entirely. And like I said earlier, church owns all the homes. So again, if you're considered a threat, you're left homeless and kicked out of the community. You have no money. You're done. Because you gave all your money to the church. Correct. Um, for any girls that seem to show any signs of independence or unruliness, the strategy was to get them married and pregnant young. This was thought to calm her down. But also, if she has a baby in the church, it's going to make it difficult to run. Um, and there were... There was always underage marrying in the FLDS, but under Warren, this practice became very normalized. And the girls. Like young girls. Yeah. And the girls are being married off as young as 12. Um, They don't want to get married. They're often married to first and second cousins. Well, and if you're 12. Even if you are like, yay, marriage! They you all don't know to... what that means. Yeah, and a lot of them, that's their uh, end goal. Like, they want right. to be wives and mothers. This is what they see every day. This is what they're exposed to. And a lot of people, a lot of girls practice, like, oh, let's let's play wedding, you know? Yeah, but it doesn't it's... mean you want to be fucking married right then. Right, or if you think you, that you no do and you're 12, yeah. you don't know what you're getting into. No, I mean, but that like sadly doesn't really change. Right. Even when they're, like, 19, but... they still don't know. But, yeah. Um... 
So they're often married to their first and second cousins. Um, and in one story, the girl was 14. Her name is Alyssa. Um, and she said she was crying so hard she couldn't say, I do. So Warren had her mother stand with her. And she said her mother squeezed her hand so hard that she could feel her mother's desperation and realized that it wasn't just her salvation at risk. It was her mother's too, which is bullshit. We know that, but a scared 14-year-old girl does not. Alyssa's sister, Rebecca, had been a wife of Rulins, and after he died, she was one of the few that Warren didn't marry, and they started to put a lot of pressure on her to remarry, but she kept refusing until one day she was pulled into Warren's office, and he told her she had a week to get remarried. She pleaded with him. She said she couldn't remarry. She said she hated being married, and he told her, quote, I will break you, and I will train you to be a good wife. So she leaves his office and she resolves that she's going to run away, which let's consider for a second how fucking brave that is. It's so easy to be outside of a cult and see the big picture. And it's like, of course, like I would run. But she's been born into this. She's been told the outside world is evil. Everyone she knows is there and her entire family is there. And if she's married, she probably has children there. And she is looking I don't think she had children, but at least they didn't mention it in the documentary. But But, she may have. So she left. Right. If you leave, that's. A, you're leaving broke. Mm -hmm. You have no connections unless you somehow maintained contact with some of the boys who got kicked out. That's, yeah, for her story. But, But, and also to, she, she truly believes that to disobey and run away is sealing her eternal damnation. Yeah. That she will burn in hellfire for eternity. Mm -hmm. Um, but she's going to do it anyway. She knows what she's doing and yeah. So, uh, she was labeled what the LDS calls an apostate. Um, but Rebecca chooses her survival and she calls her brother who had been kicked out and helps her and he helps her escape. Meanwhile, Rebecca's sister, Alyssa is married to her first cousin who she hated even before she was told she had to marry him. Um, and she was very vocal about not wanting to marry him, but now this is the situation that she's in. She misses her sister. And Rebecca had said she wanted to take Alyssa with her. But on the day she left, she had no idea if she was even going to be able to make it or take care of herself. She was going to survive. So she didn't want to put her sister in further danger. So it's really an impossible choice. Um, But Alyssa tells her cousin slash husband, I'm not going to sleep in the same bed with you. I'm not going to touch you. You're going to leave me alone. And it, it goes okay for a while. But her cousin was told by the elder men he couldn't allow that. And so he forces Alyssa. Um, and I was gonna leave, I was gonna leave this part out, but honestly, it's the trauma of this cult, and I think people should know about it. So, while he's forcing himself on her, she has no idea what's happening to her. She has no reference. Again, no idea about what sex is. There's not a word for rape. That's not a word she's heard. She doesn't know that until years later. And after it's over... She goes to tell Warren what happened to her because she truly believed that if he knew what had happened to her, he'd protect her. But he told her she needed to go home and submit her mind and body and soul to her husband and that he was her pathway to heaven. So there is like, I, I don't think it was until the 80s that even in the U.S. it was, or maybe early 90s, that it was deemed a husband could not rape their wife. Yeah. It's, like, it's, you could not, you belong to your husband, it's your job to have sex with him, you cannot rape your mm-hmm. wife. But, it, it just sucks, because, like, she thinks that, like, this guy's gonna be there for her, mm-hmm. 
and he's just not. And then, but yeah, like that's yeah what you get told is like, mm-hmm. it's your job to submit to your husband. Yep. The end. Whatever he wants. The end. And if that's traumatic for you, so sorry. Mm-hmm. You're like a third of a person. You don't really count. Correct. Then a local journalist named Mike Walkis got a hold of the Warren Jefferson FLDS story. And he was known as a guy that once he got his teeth into a story, he was not going to let go of it. He did not care if the story's getting attention or not. If he sees some bullshit, he's going to follow that story. So he shows up in the documentary uh, with old footage. With that, He's got a handheld camera in his hand, pointing it at the face of a Short Creek police officer and being like, polygamy is illegal. Like, you know this shit is happening. What are you going to do about it? Um, the cop to give some bullshit answer. Um, and then, he so said this, nothing. <laughs> so this, right, basically. And so this guy is like, okay. And he goes to the door of Warren Jeffs himself to ask a question or to ask many questions, I imagine. But Warren declines to comment, obviously. In the documentary, he says, uh, quote, they can gussy it up with all kinds of theology, but where the rubber meets the road, it's men controlling women and their sexuality. I like this guy very much. Um, he knows this is a human rights crisis and that law enforcement and politicians aren't doing shit. So he decides, I'm going to find victims myself and we're going to document the crimes um, and he's going to make law enforcement listen. So he finds Ruth Stubbs, a girl at the age of 16 who was given to a 32-year-old certified policeman in Arizona by Warren Jeffs. Mike Walkis knows that this is a case that can he can bring to court. And Watkins is running after this cop as he's leaving the courthouse, hounding him and asking him questions. And I highly recommend, if you would like to watch just this part of the documentary, it is part two at 49 minutes and 17 seconds in. (laughs) And it's pretty satisfying to see the look on Rod Holm, the officer's face, uh, which was splashed all over the news. Um, Because you can tell he knows he's fucked. Um, Because he hadn't just married a 16-year-old. He caught her pregnant. Which is some pretty hard evidence. Uh, so Wakis has people's attention. Holm was found guilty, but he basically got a slap on the wrist. Um, and the verdict, but as Wakis says in the documentary, the verdict is more important now because Warren Jeffs knows if they can convict a cop, they can convict him. Um, in 2003, the Arizona Attorney General Terry Goodard releases a statement basically said he's coming for Warren Jeffs and any other child abusers in the FLDS. And this effectively puts Warren on the run. And he runs to Texas, which is a weird move for a criminal. Well, <laughs> yeah, it didn't. So I was contemplating doing uh, the Branch Davidians. Mm-hmm. And that didn't. Yeah, Texas. You, you don't mess with Texas. Um, <laughs> Not when you're committing crimes. Nope. Um, so Mike Watkins is joined by a private investigator named Sam Brower, who follows Warren's activities to Texas, where Warren pops up every once in a while to perform a marriage and then disappears again. But they know he's still trafficking young girls to his followers. Watkins and Brower are trying to make an entire case against Warren, but it's difficult because the victims are usually unwilling to testify. Because when you think about it, they're going to have to testify against their fathers who turn them into the prophet. And a lot of the times their entire families are going to be implicated. Um, Meanwhile, security begins to crack down in Shark Creek. Cameras go up all over town. They keep tabs on where everyone goes. They zoom in on faces during sermons and track when people leave and when people come back to town. Uh, Then all of a sudden, though, Warren shows back up in Short Creek. It's a Saturday morning meeting, and he says he's going to read out a list of names that God gave him. 
and he reads out a list of 20 or so men, including four of his own brothers. And all of the men named were very important and prominent members in the FLDS. Warren told the, told the entire congregation that these men were masters de master deceivers, and God had told them that they had committed many sins, including trying to wrest the kingdom from Lauren, Warren. Rather. I'm going to call them Lauren. Um, they were sons of perdition, or sons of Satan. He told the congregation that these men were kicked out of the FLDS, and their wives and children were no longer theirs. Their wives would have to turn themselves in for reassignment to new husbands. And in that meeting, to really sink in everything, he said that everyone who was in agreement with the word of the Lord should raise their hand. And so, in fear, all of the congregation raised their hands. The next thing people knew, members of the community were vanishing, and they were told that these members had been selected to go to Zion. At first, the people in the FLDS were told Zion was a heaven-like place. The streets are made of gold, and everyone is always in a state of joy and contentment. But then, Warren starts telling the FLDS members that Zion is actually a real place on Earth. So it seems like the people that Warren likes the most are going to this place, Zion. And the people who are less in favor were usually staying in Utah until they could be considered pure and obedient enough to be called a Zion. But the people in Utah had no idea where it was. And I'm so sorry to say that Zion turned out to be El Dorado, Texas. <laughs> I'm so sorry, everybody. Um, so uh, no, That's not what they said in the song that we used to have to sing. No. Um, so... Warren has bought a huge plot of land, and they began building a new community, much like the one in They just did Utah. this. I know. And I would be so mad. <laughs> I know. If you're, and now you're down, like, what, half the men in your population? Well, they've got all these young boys, though, and they're using them all as free labor. Yeah, but, man, boys aren't, like, little boys do not know construction. No. You're going to have shoddy construction work. <laughs> it's, oh, yeah. It's just all cracked foundations. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be so bad. Mm -hmm. I would be so mad. And then, while you're there waiting for the shit to be built, you don't have AC. No. And it's hot. And it's in Texas. Oh, man, it's hot. Mm. I, you know, if he was trying to not have people riot, <laughs> you give them AC. For real, though. Um, I'm just saying. I, I would be mad. If I wasn't mad already, <laughs> I'm really mad. This would be my final. Straw. And there are some mad people. They're in the documentary. Like there are people who are like clearly dissented, but um, not enough. This would be my last straw. I found <laughs> no it. AC. I want no part of Zion. You want me to build another fucking town? Fuck off, Warren. With this gigantic temple. Send me to um, damnation. I do not care. <laughs> We're already there. It's Texas. It's, it's hot, hot as shit. <laughs> Um, so there's no streets of gold, the streets are actually dirt in a lot of places, everyone's living off the land, and they think they're doing they well, like they're doing well, like, they're as a community of farmers, but, and they're, Ew. like, fully independent, and, but I don't know about you, but heaven for me is not me as a farmer. <laughs> I do not dream of manual labor. <laughs> I do not dream of manual labor. Um, uh, and it didn't take long for the original small town residents of El Dorado to figure out what was going on, and to figure out the kind of rumors that were going about around about what had been happening in Short Creek. So they became wise pretty fast uh, that this is the FLDS's new grooming ground for child brides, basically. Um, at this time, investigators still need a victim to come forward, though, and the FLDS is extremely private, like any good cult. Uh, they're sealed off from the rest of the world. 
They suspect Warren is in the compound in Texas, but there's not enough evidence for a warrant. But then... A warrant. A warrant. Yes, but then... Re-enter Alyssa, Rebecca's sister, the one who had to marry her first cousin. She had started a friendship with another man in the FLDS community, which grew into something more. One day, she was called into the bishop's office in the Texas compound. Warren is on the phone, and her trash bag husband is sitting there. Her abuser is sitting there. Um, uh, they had a picture of Alyssa and her love interest. It wasn't anything salacious. It was like the two of them. It looked like, I don't, I don't know. It, they're just someplace, and she's dressed normal. And they're just in the same picture, and they're, like, posing, like, happily next to one another, which is very, I guess, annoying to these people. Um, Warren tells Alyssa that she was an adulterous woman and had committed a crime there was no coming back from, and then told her husband that he was obedient and good. Alyssa finally snaps inside when she hears Warren saying these things. After she had gone to him for years and years earlier, and now, like, for help, and he was the one who was branding her as evil and wicked. So she leaves the FLDS with her boyfriend, and she and her sister finally get to reconnect. Rebecca calls Alyssa and tells her that she never should have had to be married at 14, and that their two younger sisters who were married off at younger than 14 should never have been married off either. And Rebecca asks Alyssa to share her story so they can stop this from happening to anyone else. Understandably, Alyssa is really overwhelmed by the idea of fighting the FLDS, and in, in particular the Prophet. Even with her anger, it's been ingrained in her her whole life, you cannot do this. But Alyssa decides she wants to protect her younger sisters, and for her, coming forward was the best way she knew how to do that. Real quick, no shade on victims who do or do not decide to come forward with their stories. That's a personal choice, and this is just one person's story. Absolutely. Um, but So Alyssa works with Utah Law Enforcement um, and Roger Houle, a Utah attorney, as a witness to help prosecute Warren Jeffs as an accomplice to rape. And the Washington County prosecutor files a case against Warren for two counts of rape as an accomplice. Um, but this time, no one knows where Warren is. So the FBI volunteers to help track him. Um, and they get him on the FBI's top 10 most wanted list. Obviously, Warren sends out word to his followers that they weren't to believe any accusations against him. They're all lies. Uh, but meanwhile, it's found out later that Warren is traveling all over the country. He goes to Disney World. He goes to, <laughs> he goes to Mardi Gras. He goes I'm, to strip clubs. Imagine you're having to build this new fucking town with no AC and you're farming mm -hmm. and then your pastor, prophet, whatever. It's the same thing. Yeah. But I'm going to Disney World and I'm touching they don't know. They don't know that's where he is. I'd be so mad <laughs> if I found out. Um, yeah. And he's got all his favorite wives with him. But no one. Damn! If you're not a favorite wife, you don't get to see titties or <laughs> Disney or Mickey or Mouse. Disney. No Mickey, no titties. Damn! So you know they're in Orlando. Things. You know they're um, in Orlando. They came to these Tampa strip clubs. You know, you they, know did. they did. You know, you they, know did. they did. You know they did. Um, but no one recognizes them because they're all in regular clothes. Um, this motherfucker, he's on the run, has his picture in front of the White House. <laughs> bold, bold moves. <laughs> Um, oh, but man. money is being transported to him, and by money I mean tithes, from all of his followers who are being bled dry to keep up Warren's lifestyle. And let's quickly acknowledge all of that is tax-free. 
church free. All of the church businesses, the church. all of the businesses that are owned by the church. And that's th- something that's common in Mormonism, that the church owns the businesses. Yeah. That's not just the FLDS. That's, yeah, no, that's not specific that's to that. That's the, and uh, you. <sighs> feel away. All right. Uh, um, so they're transporting about $300,000 a week. Money the people were being told was being used to build Zion. Speaking of Zion, the next thing Morin decrees is that children should be taken from their parents and sent to Zion slash El Dorado, Texas, without their parents. One former FLDS member said she knew of mothers who had woken up and gone to get their child from bed and they were gone. She would panic and go to the husband asking where her child was and he would just apply, never you mind, they're in good hands. And it's not just girls they would consider marrying age or taking toddlers and babies. And it turns out Warren realized he could exert a lot of influence over people if they knew he was the only one who could tell them where their children were. You know that TikTok sound where it's like, fun ways to die? (laughs) No. (laughs) But I will listen to it. (laughs) Um, Okay, so as an added bonus, if Warren gets these children... From the parents at that young of an age, he can mold them into whatever he wants these children to be. Many of the children who were old enough to know who their parents were, though, went screaming. Yeah, what else do you do? On August 28th, 2006, a la Ted Bundy, Warren Jeffs got pulled over in Nevada. I don't know if he was in Nevada, but whatever. The trooper recognized him and everyone in the car, including Warren's brothers and favorite wife, Naomi were arrested. Mm. Mm. Jess was flown to Utah where he would await trial in Purgatory Jail. Um, which is just a perfect name for Warren to be held under. Um, or perfect jail name. Uh, and I do understand if you don't want to watch this documentary because it can be heart-wrenching, but if you would like to see Warren Jeffs cry like the bitch he is, you can find it in part four at one minute and 27 seconds in. <laughs> um, the trial began on September of 2007. And I appreciated the courts and legal system went to lengths to try and conceal the victim's identities from the public, at least until the trial. All the names I've mentioned today were from the documentary and those who participated when they were ready to go public with their stories. And God bless Alyssa. She she said, when Warren walked in, he stared at her and she stared right back. And I cannot imagine the strength that it takes to sit there in a courtroom and stare this motherfucker down. She said, quote, there was still a part of me that wanted to shrink under that stare. But I, you know, I kept my gaze dead on with him and waited for him to break eye contact and not me. He finally shook his head and dropped his gaze, and that was when I realized this man no longer had power over me. So Alyssa gets up and tells her absolutely gut-wrenching story. The defense's strategy was to discredit her, which, I know that's how it usually works, but they weren't like, she doesn't like Warren. Or, I don't know, so many other options. That's not how Their they defense do that. was like, the 14-year-old wanted it. And, like, I've seen that tactic on, like, adult women. It's gross, too. But I, I can't see how, as a defense, you would think your best option is to convince a jury that a 14-year-old girl wanted it. The defense attorney saying, quote, you wanted to sugar up the situation and get things you wanted from Alan, which was her abuser slash husband. And, quote, based on your actions, Alan would have thought you were just fine with sexual relations. 
And I know it's their job to create reasonable doubt that Warren was not an accomplice. Um, but that was a wild angle to take, at least in my opinion. And I guess the jury agrees with me because on September 25th, Warren was found guilty on both counts and sentenced to 10 years to life. I'm curious if that's the thing where the attorney goes to his client and he's like, all right, so we don't have a good situation here. So you tell me what you want me to say. <laughs> and he was like, she wanted it. And he was like, are you sure this is where we're going right. with this? And I've heard, you see that a lot in adult trials, right? She wanted, she's just, we all know that. But to come at a jury. And say that the minor wanted the it. Minor the minor was trying to sugar up the situation. The minor who <laughs> legally cannot consent. Right. Right. And I know, like, the point is to not have Warren be an accomplice to rape. So, right, like, yeah. they can prove that even a little bit that she wanted it. But it's such a weird... It was a choice. They made it's a it. weird defense strategy, in my opinion. I but agree. okay. I it agree. doesn't matter what we say because the jury says. Um, the jury agrees with us. Yes. Um, so he's sentenced 10 years to life, which isn't a lot. But the law was clear on how long someone could be sentenced as an accomplice to rape. Yeah. Also, annoyingly, Warren was able to have visitors, and through them, he can still get his sermons out to his members, of which there were many, who were still loyal to him and believed that he had been wrongly convicted. But then, in April 2008, the Schleicher County <laughs> Sheriff's Office in Texas got a call from CPS who told them that the local crisis center had gotten a phone call from a 16-year-old girl who was living at the Zion Ranch in Texas, um, who was already a mother and pregnant again and was being abused. So they sent out a welfare check. CPS went with the sheriff's office and they tried to figure out exactly how many girls there were on the ranch, but the residents basically kept trying to run distractions and delays. So they couldn't do that. But as CPS was conducting interviews, they noticed journals that had been written by young girls who were writing about being pregnant. Um, and it turns out, uh, that the original phone call to CPS was actually a hoax from someone in Colorado, but by the time Texas Rangers realized that, it didn't matter. CPS now had seen evidence of underage girls that were pregnant, and in Texas, that is evidence of a crime in plain sight. So, Texas, based on the video I saw sent to every police officer in the state to <laughs> the compound, they also um wait 2.0 let's go yeah they also had the SWAT team with them which i get you never know when there's going to be another waco um but also if you're you there do to know it's this it's rescue a bunch of kids maybe use some tactical skills say further out of sight i don't know don't traumatize them more than they've already been um well, I mean, in Waco, they all just died. So yeah, this is, so has a better I, outcome. I, yeah. So they started bringing in buses to get all these kids off the ranch, uh, but drastically underestimated how many there fucking were. Um, upwards of 500 children oh were, had to be taken off the ranch. And they had to house them at the fairgrounds, where armed guards, armed guards stood watch at the doors and yelled at children if they got too close to the doors. Again, Texas. No. <laughs> I'm assuming, like... They didn't have a fair at the fairgrounds. I don't think that there would was be a fair. Really a big cool. room. Yeah, no. All right. Um, well. And the FLDS started a media campaign against the state for taking their kids. Like, separating kids and wives from their families wasn't a thing they'd been doing for years. Hmm. Um, Weird. In fact, the mothers who had had their children taken from them by Warren were called from Utah to Texas because only they could claim their children. These mothers were instructed to lie and say they had allowed their children to go. And for some, they got to see their children for the first time in over a year um, because the state allowed them an hour a week of visitation. 
For many of these cases, the children didn't remember their mothers because they were taken so young. And, of course, in the midst of all the legal activities, you still have the news showing armed guards, SWAT teams, and they're in front of mostly women and children, dressed like extras from Little House on the Prairie. <laughs> so you can imagine this does it's not look image. good. It's a bad image. Yeah. So politicians succumbed to public outcry on this, and after eight weeks from the raid, it was ruled that all children were to be returned to their parents. Prosecutors it's were understand- weird that we get it for white kids, but when it's brown children they coming them across cages. a border, yeah, like fleeing yeah. for their lives, we don't yeah. understand it. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. brown people, it's just it's very interesting. Yeah, it is very interesting. Um, Sorry, I was thinking we were going to make it through a whole episode without mentioning racism. racism. But here we, we are. Cannot do it. We're in Texas. Anyway, um, we're we're in the United States. Um, Okay, so they're all going back to the parents. Prosecutors are understandably devastated because they actually do know what's happening, like, now. And, uh, but legally, the kids have to be returned. Um, Texas, and most notably, the local state and CPS just completely fucked the way they handled this. Um, but the local sheriff and the PI, Sam Brower, aren't giving up on the Zion Ranch investigation as a whole. The kids are back with their parents, but they still have the ranch to search. The sheriff begins working with Rebecca, sister to Alyssa, who helped lock up Warren, to get as much information on the inner workings of the FLDS he can. So she flies down there to help them. They ask her if there's anything specific they can look for. And she says, quote, somewhere on this ranch, there is going to be a treasure trove of records. And she knew this because she had been Rulin Jeff's wife, a wife to the prophet. She knew there was a secret room where these dumb fucks kept all of the church records. And Alyssa joins her sister in Texas, and the two of them are taken to the ranch, and they go straight to the temple. Inside the temple, the police go up a winding staircase, down a hallway, and then a room instead of a room instead of a room. It's room inception. And in the last room, they find a bed. The bed actually looks something more like an altar. It was about waist high. Alyssa and Rebecca know that something is off. This should not be here. In the basement, the police found a vault, and they immediately start jackhammering into it. And sure enough, all the records were there. All documents. Everything. Paper and electronic. And pictures. But wait, what so happened with the bed? many pictures, I'm going to tell you. Okay. So many pictures of Warren kissing his new brides who were children. And if all this wasn't enough, this dumb motherfucker was so sure he would never be caught. He made recordings of what happened on that bed slash altar upstairs, which were called Heavenly Sessions. And I will say, the documentary does play some of their recordings. That's not seven minutes in heaven. No. And though um, there's no recording of the actual uh, act itself in the documentary, you know what's about to happen. And you'll hear Warren in one of the tapes and you'll hear him talking to who Rebecca identifies as a 12-year-old girl whose name, for good reasons, is not identified. Um, if you're going to watch the documentary, either fast forward um, at part four and 34 minutes in, or steal yourself because there aren't really words to describe. Also, Rebecca identified the voices of some of her former sister wives present in the room while Warren committed the rape, saying, like, amen and shit. Ew. Luckily, you don't get much better evidence than that against a person, though. And Warren really fucked up when he decided to build his Zion in Texas. They played that tape for um, that was found for the jurors, 
not edited like it was for the documentary. The journalist Mike Wakis said, and he could barely speak about the tape, uh, which is understandable. He said there were 10 women and two men on that jury. And quote, I've always maintained it was a good thing for Warren Jeffs that there were a bunch of Texas Rangers in that courtroom because after those 10 women heard that audio tape, they would have jumped over the railings and killed him if, with their bare hands. Warren was found guilty on two counts of rape of a minor of a child uh, 12 years old and 16 years old. At the sentencing, the prosecutors were able to add evidence that wasn't in the actual trial, including evidence that suggested Warren was involved in conducting the marriages of 67 underage girls and that Warren himself had 78 wives. 24 of those wives were underage. Warren was sentenced to 100 plus years and 20 plus years on top of that. Warren Jeffs will die in prison. Um, there are still messages... It's kind of surprising that he hasn't been killed in prison. Honestly. It really is. Um, there are still messages getting out uh, from Warren because people still follow him, including Alyssa's mother. Oh um, my god. He's still considered the leader of the cult, and there are still thousands of FLDS members. Uh, but I don't want to leave on that note. It sucks too much, so I'm going to tell you how Warren is doing in prison. On July 9th, 2008, Warren was taken from the Mojave County, uh, Arizona jail in Kingman, Arizona, to a Las Vegas, Nevada hospital for what was described as a serious medical problem. Sheriff uh, Tom Sheehan did not specify just medical problem, but said it was serious enough to move him 100 miles from where he was. Sadly, he recovered. Um, he is engaged in lengthy hunger strikes, which his doctors and attorneys have claimed for worse spiritual reasons. In August 2009, Superior Court Judge Steve Kahn ordered that Jeffs be force-fed at Arizona Jail. I hope that was very uncomfortable for him. Um, on August 29, 2011, Jeffs was taken to East Texas Medical Center and hospitalized in critical condition under a medically induced coma after excessive fasting. Officials were not sure how long Just he let would him remain die. hospitalized, but they expected Jeffs to live. No, I don't <sighs> want him to die. I want him to live forever in prison, up That's unhappy. So he seems very unhappy. Just kill him. Um, kill him. I just want him to be unhappy. I um, want him dead. <laughs> Jeffs predicted in December 2012 that the world would end before 2013 and called for his followers to prepare for the end. It did not end. Um, they just did that. <laughs> I know, right? In 2002. Yeah. It's only 11 years later. That's not even long enough for people to have, like, fully recovered their savings. I know. The United Effort Plan Trust that was formerly, uh, that formerly belonged to the FLDS was taken over by Utah in 2005 and controlled by the court for over a decade before a judge handed it over to a community board mostly comprised of former sect members. In 2017, both the trust and Jeffs were sued by a woman alleging, alleging she was sexually abused by Jeffs uh, when she was a child. Jeffs allegedly suffered a mental breakdown in the summer of 2019 because of this. So he continues to be very much not okay. Elisa and Rebecca, along with other victims who participated in the documentary, have had long roads in recovery, but are leading fulfilling lives, which have absolutely nothing to do with their abuser as he rots in prison. And that is my story on the FLTS. Oh, great job, ladies. Yeah. I know that at one point she was like, it was women, uh, I think, I don't remember if it was Alyssa or Rebecca, I think it was Rebecca who was like, it, it was interesting to her that um, in the society, the women have none of the power, mm -hmm. and yet it was all women who put him in prison forever. Yeah, that's why people are scared of women. <laughs> why, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, that's, that's cults. <laughs> the one that's ended and one that's still very much still going on 
Um, but yeah. Good times. That's... We brought you the woes this time. Last time it was all funny ha-has and racism. I tried to write some jokes. <laughs> <laughs> I tried. And now we so have much. the woes. Um, no. Yeah, so we will see you next time. Yes. In but the it... meantime. Take it away. Uh, you can find us on our website at historywoes.com. Uh, you can find us on Instagram uh, slash historywoes, uh, where you can find our link tree. Feel free to join our Patreon, uh, which is patreon.com slash historywoes. Mm-hmm. Uh, we would love to have you. And If you have an idea, uh, and you're our Patreon, your idea goes straight to the top. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, uh, and I think that's it, right? I believe so. Okay, well then we will catch you guys next time. We're going to go pet some dogs. We suggest you do as well. Bye. Bye.